Open your Bibles. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17. I am, I'm overly excited about this message. I'm overly excited. Is that possible? I'm going to move this. I, keep, I shouldn't have moved it forward. Excuse me one moment while I collect myself and move things. All right. Yeah, I am overly excited about this message. I don't want you to get lost in the sauce, but we're going on a, huh? Oh, I'm sorry. Teenagers, you're dismissed. God bless you. They're starting teen church again today. Man, look at them all. Yeah. Did you guys have fun last night? Yeah, they did. They had a youth activity last night. Yeah, pizza race. Yeah, it was good. You know how a church is growing? You know, you know how to know whether a church is growing? Look at the youth department. Look at the youth department. Yep. As that youth department grows, so grows the church. And I'm not saying they're directly connected uh, numerically, but the spirit of it is there. So, man, I'm excited for them. There's so many new people uh, in that little youth department, and it is growing. And Cody and Chelsea are doing a fantastic job. They're volunteers. The Blaines, the Ellisons, oh, they're doing so good. I love it. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, um, anyway, I don't want you to get lost in the sauce online, in person. The best way to follow along today is through the program, through the program. So if you open up your program online, all of the scriptures are there, and uh, you'll be able to see where I'm kind of bouncing around today and uh, follow along. But other than that, it will be... Uh, it'll be difficult uh, just from a conceptual standpoint, but you'll see it maybe towards three quarters of the way, unless I reveal it in the beginning, but three quarters of the way, the whole thing will connect, and um, the, I promise you, you'll be encouraged today, um, but it is going to be a little bit of a journey. It's not necessarily expositional. Uh, it, is, it is topical, so it's a little bit different than, than a normal message that I would preach, um, but buckle up. And I know the Lord's going to do something and use this. Go to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse number 3, and let's do our best to remove distractions, because I get distracted. So uh, online, if you've got kids running around, sit them down, give them YouTube kids on your phone, just kidding, uh, but get them a snack, get a drink, hurry, go to the bathroom, do what you got to do. I know that's how it is watching online, but let's focus in on the next few minutes this is going to be a gift from the Lord, as always, when we open the word of God. Let's pray one more time. Uh, let's just focus our attention and focus our hearts together on God's word. Father, we love you. We pray your spirit. Uh, Father, reveal to us, open our hearts, open our minds, that we may receive something today. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, amen. amen. All right, man, it's 1142, and that's okay. We're going to, you listen fast, and I'll talk fast. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse, verse number 3. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 3, and we'll go, verse 3, and we'll go to verse 9. The Philistines were standing on one hill, and the Israelites were standing on another hill with the ravine between them. There's nothing on accident in the scriptures. There's nothing on accident. Like, to, to see this picture that, that the author is painting, there's a reason. To see a ravine, this is a famous story, and I've never seen this before. You know, avoid, avoid pastors, teachers that say, here's a new thing I'm going to teach you. This is not a new thing. This is an old thing with a new perspective. 
okay? There's nothing new under the sun, Solomon said, but, but this, is, this was a new perspective for me this week. It's setting the stage, one hill, one mountain, if you will, and then on the other, another, and that makes sense for this word champion. There was a ravine between them, then a, a champion named Goliath. You are my champion. If I was singing it, that's where I would key it. <laughs> Giants fall, right? When you stand. We think, when we think champion, we're programmed to think giants falling because of this passage of scripture, because of this use of this word. Goliath, if you don't know the story, the famous battle between him and who? David. But we see the context of that word coming out, that a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp, two both sides. One came out from the camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall. It's a big dude. Yeah, man. He had to have his champion clothes special made and wore a bronze helmet and a bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was a bronze armor on his, on his shins, Bronze javelin, dude like bronze. Bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds big. And the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. Imagine how that dude felt. <laughs> Talk about a complex. <laughs> you know, guy walking in front of him. He stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formation. Now watch this. Don't miss this. Why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He asked them, am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Two sides. Choose what? One of your men. And, I have, and have him come down against me. I highlighted this whole verse. And if he wins a fight against me, and kills me, we will be your what? But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Okay, watch this. Referring in this text to Goliath, the word champion. He came out into the valley and challenged the Israelite forces to a battle that was a winner takes all. Has anybody thought of that as being interesting? Why did it have to be this way? Why was it everyone on one side and everyone on the other and the outcome was determined by one person? Why would this story be nestled into the Old Testament, the Old Covenant in such a way that it is literally one of the most famous stories and if you talk to a, a, a child that attends Sunday school or a small group or however your church does it, David and Goliath is one of the first stories they're going to learn. Is that by happenstance? Could it be that we're promoting a story that means more than we actually have even seen? Where one man, and at this point it was the enemy forces, presents the battle plan of one winner taking all. So the word champion means this. It's two Hebrew words. I'm going to... I'm going to trash this pronunciation, and I apologize. I do better with the Greek. I don't do well with English. You know what I mean? Much less Hebrew. But you'll get the, the point of the word. But the word champion is two Hebrew words, compound, put together. The one is ish, which just means man. Um, the Bible is gender specific. I think that when we talk about these roles, uh, it's important to understand that when we identify these words, 
there are words that indicate male and female, and I don't see any other words. Just leaving that right there. So Ish, man, champion, this person that's fighting is a man. Uh, Benayin is the second word. Ish, Benayin. So Ish means a man. Benayin means of two places. So now when we read the word champion, we think like westernized culture. We think of Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan. He's a champion. I'm a champion. They fight for us. But there's so much more than that. There's also geographical settings. There's also the type of battle that is being fought and what a champion does and how this applies uh, to that specific battle. So we see in the text, all of that is laid out. It says there are what? Two sides. And here's another way of saying ish benayin, a man of two spaces. A man of two places. So a champion is someone that can literally walk into enemy territory and be a man of both enemy territory and of his own hometown and win war on both, between both spaces and the outcome of what that person does, what that man does is a winner-takes-all approach. Is this story hitting any? Is there any indicators here? I'm reading this and I'm going, the man of two spaces. The man of two spaces. What does it mean to be a champion? It means to be a man of two spaces. Pause. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. Wouldn't it be amazing wouldn't it be incredible to have hindsight on everything how amazing would that be if if we had hindsight about how we would feel at 3 a.m just a little bit of that pain because of those cinnamon rolls we ate at 11 maybe we wouldn't eat them can i get an amen last night i'm i endeavored i'm sorry nick but i endeavored my wife is like look we moved to this new house, and we, I'm all about it getting a good deal, right? So if you know me, that's, you know, I just like getting good deals. So I got a good deal on this house that we purchased, and my wife's like, look, I really want laundry on the main floor. And this was like prophetic, right? We didn't even know that we would be expecting our fourth child. But in the house I have now, it's like 10 steps, 10 steps, to, you know, it's in the basement. You know what I mean? Laundry in the basement, all these kids up. So anyway, I endeavored to put laundry in on my third floor over the last couple days. That's a lot. <laughs> I started with a hole in the wall. Then I end up with a hole in the floor. Then I end up with holes all over the house just trying to find where wires and pipes are. Guess what? I know where they are now. I know where they are. We got the plumbing in. We got the plumbing in. We got the electrical in almost close. We got the vent in. Chief lent me his ladder. I'm out there drilling a hole in the side of my house. And the neighbor's like coming up, what are you doing, Matt? I'm putting laundry on my third floor. Yes. <laughs> you know, so angry. <laughs> so angry. Oh, man. Because my wife's expecting our fourth child. Just in case anyone in the neighborhood is wondering. That's what I'm doing. Oh, man. Anyway, so by the time I finished, it was like maybe 11 o'clock. I don't know. I embellish everything because I'm a pastor. God bless you. 
Anyway, so I finally sit down, and I, I come in, and I smell cinnamon rolls. And, there, and she's like, look, this is what I can do. And I'm like, no, you do so much more than that, baby mama. So I sit down at the, at the bar, and I have like a glass of milk and a glass of chocolate milk and my cinnamon rolls. And I'm just eating. And then, hey, do you know that a cinnamon roll is way better with butter on it? How many know that? You'll thank me later. Get a nice warm cinnamon roll out of the oven, put it on the counter, and just cut a little square of butter and put it on top, and it just oozes right in. Whew, how many are hungry right now? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So anyway, if I had had hindsight, huh? Oh, did you get it? Bill's learning how to use Proclaim. It takes them about a month, but once they figure it out, it's on, man. Bill, you're there. You're there. Write a passage. Amen. So anyway, if I would have known how two glasses of milk of different kinds and the cinnamon rolls, rolls with butter, if I would have known how they would have made me feel, I probably would have passed on one of them. <laughs> Hindsight. Hindsight's important. Can you imagine? Imagine? We're living in this context where... The apostles and the disciples, stay with me. The apostles and the disciples are watching every one of us and they're perceiving the amount of information and data that we have and how that affects our lives. And Paul is up, upstairs or wherever up is in heaven and he's going, did you not get what I said? I wrote that for you. I'm inspired of the Holy Ghost to give you hindsight and you don't read it, you don't know it. This morning, listen, as we prepare for Holy Week, my whole intent morning is to give you hindsight, is to pull the curtain back and say, let me let you in on a few secrets that were a secret then, but watch this, they're not a secret now. Listen to Paul's words, 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 9. Stay with me. We do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a what? Mystery. A wisdom God predestined before the ages of our glory. I highlighted this verse in my Bible. Check this out. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom. Because if they would have known it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. I'm here to propose to you this morning, pulling back the curtain of Holy Week, if the forces of darkness knew, if the forces of darkness knew what the crucifixion meant, guess what? They wouldn't have crucified him. See what's coming. There's a little bit more to the story. How many of you in your minds have questioned Easter, Holy Week, the timeline, and just thought, how does a guy come into Jerusalem at the beginning of the week, and within the week, he's hanging on a tree? How does a guy come in, Jesus, thank you. Give Steve a hand for making this cross. Amen? Amen. I love having a picture of the cross up here. I love this thing. He did an incredible job. How many of you think or has thought that it could be strange that a man comes in, hail King Jesus, he's going to rule us, and then within a week he's hanging on a tree. Does anybody think that's kind of awkward? These guys are laying down palm fronds at his feet. 
he's our king, and then now crucify him, crucify him. It's a weird story, let's be honest. Or do we just take it like, oh yeah, Palm Sunday. Oh yeah, Resurrection Sunday. <laughs> but we're not like thinking about it. We're not understanding what happened. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2, we're walking through Paul's hindsight. Paul said first, spitting. Paul said first, understand this. If the rulers of this darkness, if, if the forces of evil would have known what the crucifixion meant, they wouldn't have what? They wouldn't have done it. Now look what Paul means when he means rulers of darkness, right? Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. I highlighted this. According to the ruler of the power of the what? Air. The spirit now working in the disobedient. So Paul is referring to the rulers of this age. He does not have governmental powers or authorities in view here. Here's what Paul has in view. He has in view powerlessness, supernatural forces. Supernatural forces are in view in Paul's writings here. Jesus, here's, here's a helpful fact. We're taking a behind-the-scenes tour here before Holy Week. Jesus did not start talking of his death until the end of his ministry. And when he did, let's review the disciples' reactions. Once again, this is hindsight. Paul said if they would have known, they wouldn't have crucified him. What did the disciples think? D, what, what went through their mind as Jesus begins to make this transition at the end of his ministry? Remember, they thought he was going to be erected king on a throne then and there, right? But, but what was their reaction to his changing of terms? I thank you for asking. Matthew chapter 17, 22 through 23, here it is. As they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus told them, the Son of Man is about to be prayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, toward the end of his ministry. They will kill him, and on the third day, he will be raised up. Let's focus in on this next statement. This is what I highlight. And they were deeply distressed. Hindsight's always 2020. Thank the Lord we are in 2021, right? But understand this. What we need to focus in on is when he, when he said, listen, guys, gents, we, uh, this is going to end here shortly. I'm going to die, and on the third day I'm going to be raised up. He has performed miracles. He's raised the dead. But yet it does not compute, does it? Why, how do we know that it doesn't compute? First of all, they were what? Distressed. They were distressed. We see the reaction of his followers. They were distressed. Mark 9, 30 through 32. I, what, I'm, what I'm getting to this morning, I know will wreck some of your theology, and it's okay. It wrecked mine. I know that what I'm going to share with you as this thing culminates and finishes, many of you are going to go, man, that's not really the perspective that I had about the Holy Week. But this is good because it's what the Bible says. You know, it doesn't matter what I say. Guess what? It doesn't matter what you say. What does it matter? What does the word of God say? And that's what we're talking about. The disciples were what? Distressed. Mark 9, 30 through 32. Then they left that place and made their way through Galilee, but he, did not any, he didn't want anyone to know it. This is going to bring context to some of these weird things that are said here. Why, did, why is he keeping it a secret? It's a great question to ask. He didn't want anybody to know it. 
For he was teaching his who? Disciples. And telling them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed in the hands of men. They will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise three days later. Look 32. But they did not understand this statement. And they were afraid to ask him. They didn't understand it. And they were scared. See it? Do you see it? You see, Jesus had set the crucifixion in motion first and then explained to his disciples that he was coming back. But he did not reveal the plan to the forces of darkness. In fact, watch this, he egged it on. This is the purpose of our next story, story time with Pastor Matt. Are you ready? How many remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Come on now. Anybody? Any old churchgoers in here, the Mount of Transfiguration? For the most part, I've been my whole life just kind of like, yeah, that's a neat thing that he did there. That's kind of cool. He showed himself, the Son of God, and he had a couple of dudes from the past. They set up a little cigar lounge, and him and Moses, and a lot, just kidding. It was a cloud of smoke. Anyway, uh, I think of things strange. It's weird. I know. It all happens in my head. Pray for me. <laughs> it's kind of a, an interesting thing. But I read this book recently that I would encourage all of you to read. I get on these kicks where I like certain authors and, you know, I read whatever they put out. And in the program is the title of that book, so go get it. But the point is this. There was so much more happening on the Mountain of Transfiguration. So much more. It actually, watch this, makes sense. And I had no clue how it fit together, but I'm going to share that with you. When Jesus came, Matthew 16, if you want to read along with me. Matthew 16, 13 through 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, that's the key to the whole thing of the Mount of Transfiguration. That's the key. When he came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, or Bar-Jonah, whatever translation you have, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my who? My father. Remember his baptism. Remember the heavens opened up, right? This is my beloved Son, he has revealed that he is the son of God, right? My father in heaven, in verse 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this what? Rock, I will build my church, and the gates of, this is where it gets good, and the gates of, you know where I'm going with this, and the gates, he read the book, guys, I'm sorry, and the gates of Hades will not, Dr. Michael Heiser, I love you. If you ever watch this, God bless you. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys. This is huge. This is monumental. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell what? No one. To tell no one that he was the what? Messiah. You, you see, there were sprinkles 
of this one that would come, of this one. I think of Psalm 22. I think of Isaiah 53. There are sprinkles through the Old Testament of this one that would suffer, of this one. But it is not connected to the Messiah. In hindsight, we all look back at that text and we go, oh, oh, I know what they were talking about. But guess what? They didn't know what they were talking about. Holy men of God moved as, as the Holy Ghost inspired them to write these texts. Just in the same, listen, just a few verses later, listen to this. From then on, Jesus began to point out to the disciples that it was necessary. He just got through saying, who do you think I am? I think you're the son of man. You're exactly right. And guess what? And he tells this, like, message about the gates of hell not prevailing against Two verses later, stay with me, y'all. I see you getting glazed, thinking about the cinnamon rolls. This is better than the cinnamon rolls online. This is better, I'm telling you. Stay with me. Verse 21, watch what happens two verses later. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. Right after he says what he said about the gates of hell. It's necessary for me to go to what? Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, where we're headed next week. Behind the scenes, here it is. I'm your tour. I'm your tour. Backstage pass. It's necessary for me to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, scribes. Be killed. Be raised the third day. Watch this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> began to rebuke him. Here's what he said. Oh, no, Lord. This will never happen to you. This will never happen. Jesus turned and told Peter, get thee behind me. That's a clue. Get thee behind me, Satan. You are a what? A hindrance to me. You're not thinking about God, God's concerns, but who? Humans' concerns. Let me explain this story. The mountain of transfiguration took place in the region of Bashan. If you look at Caesarea Philippi, story time with Matt, Caesarea Philippi is a Roman name. Caesarea Philippi, a Roman name of a province but what location geographically was that in the ancient Near East? What location did Jesus bring them to, like talking about Moses and Mount Sinai? Remember, there was a mountain that the Lord came down on and gave Moses the what? The Ten Commandments. Guess what? Let me help you with something. Stay with me. There was an opposing mountain. There was an opposing force. Mount Sinai was where the Lord had descended, and I alluded to this before, but remember the, the age-old story, and I'm not going to wade into the minutiae too much, but remember the story of the rebellion that happened in heaven and angels falling from heaven? Does anybody, ever, anybody ever heard that? Guess what? In ancient Near East, God bless you, love you guys. In ancient Near East, there was a mountain that it was specifically told that those angels descended upon. Guess what mountain that was? It's the highest place geographically when you look at this valley where, where this is positioned in the ancient Near East. Caesarea Philippi is the Roman name for the province of the region of Bashan. The region of Bashan had this place, this mountain, and that mountain in the region of Bashan is where those angels are said to have landed on earth. Whether you believe in that physically, if it happened or not, that's what they were thinking. Here, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm explaining to you. 
Peter and James and John going to this place, Caesarea Philippi, would have been like walking into a graveyard. I'm trying to give you a behind-the-scenes pass. What is the significance of, of having Caesarea Philippi mentioned in the text? What is the significance of him going up a mountain? It's literally the mountain that they believed was the gate to the underworld. In their ancient Near East mind, the region of Bashan, if you watch Hercules, right? It's amazing how much Greek mythology and other things intertwine with the message of the Bible. Remember Hades, right? In Hercules, sorry, Aaron, I stepped on your pedal. Remember that? that that's how they view this Satan figure. They view this Satan figure as the leader of the realm of the underworld. So if the underworld, hell, had a gate to it, that was the region of Bashan. What does the word champion mean? A man of two what? A man. Ish, benign. A man of two spaces, not just places. Jesus knew the region of Bashan. Jesus took his disciples to the gates of hell. You know, the church, the Catholic church specifically argues that Peter is the rock. Upon this rock, I will build my church. I submit to you that it's a geographical location. I submit to you that when he went for the Mount of Transfiguration, when it was declared, when the veil was removed and everybody saw that this was the Son of Man, it wasn't just significant that the disciples were there and that Moses was there. It was significant the place he unveiled himself as the Son of God on the mountain of the devil. Mount Hermon. Look it up. Mount Hermon in the region of Bashan are the gates of the underworld in their minds of the ancient Near East. Jesus said, I'll be your champion. I will be the man of two spaces. I will go to the regions beyond where you cannot go. He walked them through the graveyard. He cast out a demoniac in the same region of Caesarea Philippi. Why? Because it was the region of Bashan. Understand this, that the Mount of Transfiguration was Jesus saying, game on. Why is it relevant that he said in the very next statement, hey guys, just so you know, just after Peter said, you're the son of God, guys, it's time to go where? to Jerusalem and be killed. Why? Because he literally just went to the enemy's front door and left a sack of poop on it and said, let's go. <laughs> Rang the doorbell and said, let's go. It's time for Jerusalem. We know in hindsight, we know in hindsight that if they would have known, they would have never what? Crucified. Do you understand uh, we needed a man of two spaces, of two spaces. Ah. Luke 24, 44 through 49. He told them, these are my words that I spoke to you. Listen to this. <laughs> you don't believe me yet? I see some of you are like, eh. you don't believe me yet? Listen to this text. Guess when this text takes place? After the resurrection. You ready for this? Behind the scenes tour. I wanted to preach this on Easter, but that would have been a huge miss, right? This is our church. Easter's when we have a ton of visitors, right? 
People come to church on Easter and Christmas. Thank you for joining us online. But this is our church. This is our crowd. I'm giving you the meat behind what we're headed to. So that when we talk about the three areas that Jesus championed on Easter, you're going to be like, I'm not getting into the region of Bashan with new people. You get what I'm saying? Listen, you better take this and you better put it somewhere because you're going to need it. Listen to what he said to the disciples after his resurrection. You ready for this? He told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then, watch this, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah. The Messiah, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. I can just see Peter. Oh, yes. That's why he said, get thee behind me. Because literally what Peter was holding him back from is what he went to Bashan to do. I get it. He opened their minds. He'll suffer. He'll rise from the other day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in the name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. I'll give you this little tidbit. That's why there's 12 disciples. 12 disciples is a picture of the 12 tribes of Israel. But then at Pentecost, there were 70 nations represented when the Holy Spirit fell. Guess how many nations were disinherited at the Tower of Babel? Seventy. He said, I'm literally going to reverse what the enemy has done. The enemy has come. He's the prince and power of the air. The devil thought he was smart. Jesus came, born of a virgin, living a sinless life. And he said, yeah, you think you're going you to upper hand me? I've been in this region for a long time. The Holy Land geographically was just the Holy Land, Israel. But Jesus came. He didn't just come for the Holy Land. He, he took 12 tribes and said, I'm going to reclaim every nation. I'm going to be a man between two spaces. I'm going to go to the region beyond the region where the forces of darkness hold you with sin, hold you with death. I'm going to break that cord. They just don't know it. They don't understand it, what's about to happen. After the resurrection, you are witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending you what my Father promised you. As you say, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. The Holy Ghost is what fell. It's what came. Oh. Church. Moving into Holy Week. There's a quote in the program. Look it up. I don't have time to read it. But understand this. Moving into Holy Week. Jesus, I have two points, that's it. Jesus instigated the cosmic fight. He was the man between two sides. Jesus instigated the cosmic fight. He was the man between two sides. I can't overstate the fact, I wish I had more time, but the significance of Goliath being a giant. Whatever the enemy could procreate and create, 
that could stand against the forces of righteousness, it would fall. David throwing a stone and killing the giant was a picture to come. The whole Old Testament are pictures and traces of the story of redemption that now we have, that now we understand, that now can become our own. Do you understand where the Lord went for you? This is why, <laughs> listen to me, church. If you're stuck thinking you can live a good life to go to heaven, you miss the whole story. If you're stuck thinking that you gotta be a good person, you miss the whole story, the entire story. Listen to this scripture. This is the last scripture I'll read today. Ephesians 2, 3 through 10, this wrecked me. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by what? Grace. Amen. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of grace through kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now in context, famous verses. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one could boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for those to do. You ought to feel so loved right now. Number one, Jesus instigated the cosmic fight. He was the man between two sides. And just as Goliath stood in the valley and he said, if I win, all of you will be my servants. Jesus, stand the gap. He goes to the valley, the gates of hell. He literally walked right up to the enemy's doorpost. He walked right up to the gates of hell and he looked through and he saw you and he saw me. And he knew that we were held, we were in bondage. The enemy, he's a ruthless slave master. The sin that did so just binded us, held us. We never would have been set free had someone not come in to that space. They thought that they were getting rid of him. Church, listen to me. They thought they were getting rid of him. Ha. Go ahead back to Jerusalem. Watch this. To your holy land. Come to your doorstep. The enemy said, we'll come to you. We'll kill you. You understand how strong I am. Satan has always thought that he has the upper hand. He's always thought that the gates of hell, the gates of death, the strongholds of sin were always more powerful than our Savior but what did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. 
I can't imagine how the devil felt. At that moment, the ground began to shake. It began to rumble. And they knew they were had. As Jesus appeared preaching to those in Hades. Saying to them, like, think about it. Here he is. Thank you for crucifying me. Thank you for allowing me to conquer the very thing that they never could have conquered on their own. Now I'm claiming them. Now they are mine. You too were a child of wrath. You too were of the enemy. Your father, the devil. But praise the Lord for the man of two spaces. The champion. The champion. If he is not your champion this morning, I beg you. It's not because of how good I am or how good someone else is. It's because of how good he is. I, I, one day, March 31st, 1999, I came to myself. The Holy Spirit had been chasing me. He'd been telling me, it's no life to live. Don't trust in yourself. And that day I met Jesus. He reclaimed me. He came to enemy territory for me. And he made me a son and a daughter. Number one, Jesus instigated the cosmic fight. He came for you when you could not do for yourself. Here's number two. Jesus instilled hope for every believer. If you got the Holy Spirit of God this morning, if he is in your heart, if the promised one came to you, don't act like the disciples pre-resurrection. What, what am I here for? What am I doing? Jesus set them down and he opened their minds. He said, hey guys, guess what? Look at the plan. And they were like, you did it. You did what we couldn't I'm just looking for a church that's grateful for what the Lord's done for them today. We're going to take some time this morning and thank the Lord for what he's done.